On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Southern Storm, a bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. With me always is Jason. What's going on, man? How are you doing? I am doing okay. We're doing good. We're doing good. Uh, it, it kind of warmed up a couple degrees today, so... Um, Feeling grateful about that. Um, uh, just uh, feeling good about shows that I'm going to be going to here coming up that I uh, told you about last week. Yep. A um, lot of stuff's cropping up, dude. A lot of stuff's cropping up. I'm happy. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. We get no more crazy variants. And the impending World War III doesn't screw up everything now yeah. that COVID is Oh, down. God. I don't even want to. <laughs> Dude, I freaking had like a dream about that last night. Like there's like oh. missiles incoming here and it's just like. And it was like, you know what lucid dreaming is? It's almost like when you have consciousness in a dream. And I'm like, what I'll do in the dream is I'll like press my foot down on the floor and then it feels like real. And yeah. I wake up for real. And it's like, oh, God, thanks. You well, know, it's like, which is the, you know, but what it makes me think about is like the music is the one place to, to just escape everything, escape the politics, escape that stuff, escape. I mean, granted, we have to be aware of, you know, what's going right. on over there, but still, it gives us a place just to get away from that stuff and try to get away from, you know, the, you know, arguing debates about COVID and Spotify and all these other things, you know, so that part, like it's, you know, I think we need music more than ever now. We do. And all I'm going to say is, man, as you and I were, were young and grew up through the eighties, uh, you know, you, you thought you got past certain things and now the like, cold war feels like it's coming back and the threat of nuclear annihilation. I thought we were past that. Yeah. Right. Like it. I remember being a kid, just hearing about Russia all the time, you know, like, yeah. man, Russia, they're evil, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's not a whole lot of fun to, you know, hear about, uh, but it's something guys got to be aware of. And this, it is what it is. And you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to dive deeper into music. You know, that's the one thing that, uh, it's a happy that place. And my little family. And so, yeah. But uh, speaking of a happy place with music, we got a great, we have great guests, all three members of, of this band coming on. How did you find out about these guys? Where did I come across Grinder Blues? And because I, you posted it on Facebook. Yeah. And tagged me and it was really freaking good. And I, I recognized Doug from King Sax. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. I, 
you know, that's the the recurrent reoccurring thing is like, like I, I don't remember how I come across these bands. I just do, you know, um, I, I can't remember. I wish I did know, but it's most important is that we came across them. Um, just like, I'm like, holy crap, does this sound good? And, you know, and then we didn't really mention it, you know, during the chat, but it's like, uh, um, you know, I, you know, I hear some things that, that kind of sounds a little bit like King's X, but yeah, that's to be expected. Well, Doug's, Doug's vocals, right? Yeah. I mean, Doug's vocals are Doug's vocals, right. going, but he's got the fact that he can sing blues and how the blues is, is amazing. And as everybody's going to hear on this interview is like, he has great connections to blues and, and the Delta areas where blues music really has originated. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the Jable brothers or the Billman brothers, sorry, <laughs> um, no slouch themselves in the, in the no. music business and the amount of people they played with and, time. Yeah. TV and, you know, scoring, you know, TV soundtrack stuff and, and, you know, everything else that they've done. And, you know, all three, you know, like growing up near somewhat near the Chicago area, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm sure helps a lot. Well, Chicago. And then, you know, um, again with Doug, Chicago, and then moved to Texas, you know, and there's two good blues scenes, the Billman brothers, of course, you know, being around Chicago blues and all that. And uh, uh, man, if you like blues music or even rock tinged with blues, you got to check Grinder Blues out because it's going to satisfy everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if if you got my musical taste, you definitely will dig them. And, and I'm I've been like listening to it nonstop. And I, I have too. I can't wait to get it and get it into my when I CD player out and... tonight, Brian. Before recording the podcast, I was listening to the their new new latest album. Was fueling my workout. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, no, it was great to talk to those guys and you guys will enjoy uh, hearing our conversation with Brinder Blues. segment of the podcast is you guys know i always throw it over to jason to tell you guys uh the listeners who our guests are today yep and i am super excited to have on we've got a fantastic blues rock trio blues rock trio with some pretty freaking cool um rock heritage with all with everybody with all three people so we got the billman bro- brothers on here jaybo and little billman or little b what, what did you want me to call you again i see i fucked it up already Hey man, little Billman's good, and we're gonna keep on trucking. You're doing great. All right, and Doug Pennick, and this band is called Grinder Blues. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, All how right, you, how you doing? good afternoon. Doing good, excellent. I gotta say, I am blown away by the new record. 
It's well, just... I wrote every. I wrote everything. So I wrote <laughs> you wrote everything. <laughs> speaking for you, the wrote band. everything. Okay. Well, does anybody <laughs> want to contest that? Um, <laughs> nah, really. uh, yeah. Right. We all have no, to have a moment. Like we're glad yeah, you like right. it. We like it too. We're real happy. Yeah, it. I was giving it. It came out good. Well, it's incredible. The drummer is that dangerous to be the drummer? Write everything. Yeah. Dangerous. Right. Right. No kidding. They just keep taking my songs and put them on the refrigerator. Like, good job, buddy. <laughs> and, and I, I, say thanks. I say thanks guys do they at least put it on the front of the refrigerator well they yeah the they, they, they actually I, I really appreciate when they put a little gold star on it and i say thanks draw a smiley face yeah we're running out of magnets right, so, Ryan. <laughs> why don't we just get started like like just tell us how this band came about how how did this all happen all right, I'll, I'll field this one just because it's kind of, not to make it a rabbit hole. Um, we're all really good friends with Ray Luzier from Corn and everything else. And I've known Ray for a million years. And um, he called me up one day and said, I'm having a barbecue at my place and um, come on down. So I did. And um, throughout the party, uh, started rapping with the uh, awesome and amazing Doug Pinnock. And Doug was kind of looking for a blues project. Plus, Jeff and I had uh, a lot of success in movie and film placements, et cetera, et cetera, and made some money at that. Doug was into that, plus doing a whole thing. Hey, Doug, started... you were into making money? You were into money? Uh, yeah, I had just moved out to L.A., and that was, remember when the housing crunch with all that stuff happened? Oh, yeah. Everybody lost their jobs. 08, 09, yeah. Yeah, I decided, I figured, you know, I might as well just start out like I was if I was 20. I'm going to go to L.A. and sleep on the floor somewhere and just figure it out again because I was done with Texas. And uh, when I got out there, maybe I wasn't there a year, and that's when I ran into uh, Scott at, uh, at Ray's kid's birthday party, actually. And, yeah, uh, yeah we talked talk about making music together, and I said, I'm out here to make some money right now. You know, We also so had a lot of uh, influences. I mean, it... it we also had a lot of Doug's in the Ray Charles and, and the blues and the whole mm -hmm. thing that, and Jeff and I came from that heritage. So that also was like, it was a good match. Yeah. So we so, were talking production music to start with the whole thing started to, we were talking about doing production music and I was living in Las Vegas at the time. So after these guys had met, um, they cruised out to my house in Vegas and we really started working on music that was just primarily for sync. Which right. if you guys aren't familiar with that, it's it's sync for film and TV, mm -hmm. uh, which Doug wanted to get into. And like Scott said, we had had some success in. And, and so um, it started that way. But the more we started writing music for this thing, it was really starting to be more of like band oriented music. And we all just kind of was like light bulb. It's like, yeah, OK, let's do, you know, let's let's do this. So the first the first record sort of came about. um starting with those sessions and then we actually wound up putting a couple of those songs on the on the on the uh, el dos record because we didn't use them for the first record so so yeah it was sort of uh, it was uh, spawned it was out fun. of that arrangement it was fun that it was, was well that's, that yeah, was, that's yeah, the, yeah we were starting to have, yeah, we were starting to have fun and we we're thinking uh oh you know forget about this making making money here let's let's yeah, I mean, it was so like it, it turned into two different things, actually. So hopefully we got songs that can still become, you know, something like that movie, TV or whatever. Well, they can, they can. We just got to keep working it. So yeah. everything you guys have done so far, you've released two albums, but you've not done anything for film or TV yet? Well, no, you know, the thing is, these guys the pandemic, have, I haven't. 
Okay. Yeah. What happened to us is that um, the pandemic hit and right. Hollywood really shut down. Man. I mean, there yeah. was nowhere to go with a lot of this stuff. And the relationships, my brother and I were with uh, Warner Chapel for a while. And um, we bounced some of those connections over and had some uh, songs on like Sons of Anarchy, et cetera, and mm -hmm. a lot of other things. Um, however, though, the pandemic shut everything down. I mean, it was like nobody was looking for music. Nobody was looking for anything. So uh, now, we're, you know, everybody's getting their sea legs back and we're getting back on the program. But, um, yeah, it's one of those deals. You just got to keep throwing it out there. I mean, because in the sync world songs never die they never get old it, it, you could you could play something that you wrote 20 years ago with you know so it's a, it's really just a matter of mm -hmm. continuing to push this stuff out there which we're doing so um yeah i mean believe me that that's that's the golden goose we're all hoping that this stuff gets picked up and uh you know it will i mean we're yeah. still placing billman brothers music from years ago and stuff so just a matter of keeping keeping that ball rolling you know yeah, we've had on a couple people. So um, Tim Mosher from Junkyard. We've had Pat and Tim on from Junkyard. Who Doug, you probably know know those guys. Uh, Tim does does a lot of uh, TV shows, like game shows. And then JD Saima, who's a blues artist, you guys probably know too. He just helped did uh, music for this new Elvis movie. Uh, Tom Hanks produced Elvis movie that's coming out too. So oh, it's, wow. it's like, yeah, man, check it. I mean, if you guys know JD, man, he is a crazy cat. But this <laughs> he is. It's a Baz Luhrmann production. It's a Baz Luhrmann directed Tom um, or um, Tom Hanks produced movie. And Tom Hanks is in uh, it. That's awesome. Cool. That's yeah. always a, that's always a help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, small names. Yeah. So this being you know, a blues rock trio, it's like a heavy blues rock trio. You guys are all from around Chicago. Yeah, technically. Um, technically, I guess I grew up in Braidwood, Illinois, when the Chicago, uh, when the Chicago blues thing was happening in the fifties, mm -hmm. and and we we were about thirty five miles south of Chicago. So uh, anytime there was a new record or anything happened, I always heard of it, even as a little kid, because. Blues was a big deal in the 50s. And my cousins used to, to buy uh, the records out of the back, uh, the trunk of the guys that they drive out from right Chicago on. to the, they, they drive down this little podunk town and sit in the corner in the black neighborhood and sell, sell records. You know, that's how they did it back in the day. And so I'd go over to a relative's house and hear the new Muddy Waters or, you know, uh, Howling Wolf or whatever it was. So I felt akin to it as much as you know i'm a little kid so i can't play it i wasn't playing anything but i just remember what i felt and um and uh talking to these guys they come from you know another part of the blues thing is they played with some of the greatest blues players in the world the old guys that i listened to as a kid so i felt yeah. a real connection between us just to i thought let's just kind of get together and make some kind of call it grinder blues you know and make it a bluesy kind of vibe like zz top that's yeah. the perfect name for the band, too. I mean, just the heavy, heavier you know, blues. I'm glad that you said that. I really appreciate you saying that because that really is, you know, Jeff and I, are, we come from the whole, whole that some of the really traditional people come back and say, wow, man. I mean, we're like a wrecking ball. And that's what this mm -hmm. project was supposed to be. Where It wasn't a one, four, five, clean you know, sounding Stratocaster coming out of your, you know, Fender Twin, all that crap. I mean, this was a dropped wrecking ball. And so I appreciate you recognizing the name because mm -hmm. that's really what it was about. 
I think grinder blues is a whole new genre of blues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, Jibo, it, you, you're onto something because Brian and I do a lot of interviews and have people on that are just getting started, a little bit under the radar that are good. And a lot of these modern acts and, and artists that do blues music have a little bit more of that edge to it for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I think that's a great it's a, term. It, it's more aggressive, uh, you know, can make up a name for that, you know, because yeah. it it's an aggressive blues, I yeah. think. Well, well you know, I say, it, when sorry. we all do, like, I still do pickup gigs and stuff like that, and somebody will say, man, it's an Austin, Texas blues, it's Chicago blues, it's a New York blues, it's a New Orleans blues, and you got to know where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. But the genre of someone to say, hey, man, we're doing a, you know, a grinder blues kind of thing, something like that, that's kind of was the point is to set a new standard. And I mean, everything is repetition of another man's genius on this whole thing anyways. So if you can't do something new, don't even do it. So I do, I'm passionate about Grinder Blues because of what it is. It's a new yeah. form of, of what this well, is. Well, you know, it pays homage to, or homage to the yes. original 50s and 60s blues, but you've got these rock, modern rock elements. And like Doug, you know, everybody knows your name. You're from King's X, a great, freaking band a freaking great man but you've got that melodic rock vocals and styling added to like this blue stuff and it comes through and it really matches perfectly together i mean it's great man it's, yeah thanks. thank you it's fun too yeah i mean when we started talking about this whole thing too is is even you know when i listened to king's x my whole life uh i always felt like doug was singing gospel-esque uh, you know, not on everything, but a lot of times, you know, yeah. these, these gospel s type stuff, type stuff, and blues type stuff. And I told, I've told him many times, I'm like, man, you're just a blues singer, you know? Oh, for I sure, mean, yeah, absolutely. And so I think it, I think it was perfect, and I was really excited actually when Doug wanted to go in a blues direction because, again, look, I, nobody's a bigger King's X fan than I am, but it was really cool to see that Doug could kind of go in that direction vocally. And, and I think it fit like a dream. It was just like, bam, just like that. It worked, you know? And, and he also came up with very interesting lyrics, the way he sort of twisted um, the thought, the song comes to mind, Don't Go Home, which is, the, which is kind of a twist on the old blues, uh, Please Come Home. Mm-hmm. And so he sort of twisted it around. And, and we did a lot of that. I mean, my guitar playing... I, with Grinder Blues and with all the slide that I do and everything, I try to stay... Uh, you know, kind of like you said, as, a, as an homage to the great blues guitarist of the past and the, and the you know, some of the, some of the blues um, traditional type stuff. But with all the distortion that I'm using and the, that huge sound, it really does have a different flavor to it, you know. So I'm able to, to play the traditional stuff, you know, which we all know and love, but give it that ballsy edge, you know, that I yeah. think is, is over the top. So um, there's just there's a little math in the blues, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I like about it. Um, you know, ZZ Top, they were real good at uh, uh, the Trace, the Trace Ombres album. Yeah. Um, changed my life back in the '70s because they took blues to another place. They made it heavier, darker, mm-hmm. and more fun. Yeah. And also, they twisted the the parts around that. You know, there was a verse, a chorus, and a bridge, and it ended and shit. And but it was still blues, and it never left blues. 
And yeah. so I thought, let's 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 take traditional blues. These guys know the traditional. I mean, a hundred thousand different shuffles and blues progressions and stuff. And let's take them and fuck them up in a different way. You know, turn choruses around and and put put them where they're not supposed to, or drag one out longer than it should be. You know, just just have some fun. <laughs> just have some fun with it without yeah. taking away from what it is, which is just basically a bunch of bunch of guys trying to reinvent the blues you know like every generation does we're always trying to push the envelope everybody does i think you know and that's what yeah, i love about about this record is it's it's the heaviest blues record i've ever heard since uh uh trey's uh trey's mountain what do we what? Trey's trey's ombres. Ombres. yes <laughs> trey's ombres you know and that's what I, that's what i love about the biggest thing is like it rocks hard and it's still blues <laughs> You yeah. know, the thing is, is uh, as well, what Doug was saying is that, you know, um, we all do sessions and we deal with producers and charts and all that kind of stuff, you know, that that whole thing and things and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and Grinder Blues is so all over the place. And as the drummer of the band, um, it, I've had some people ask me, you know, you know, why that drum fill there it was really interesting. So, and what it was is I, I, I didn't know what, if we were in the verse of the course. Sometimes I didn't know if we were in the bridge. <laughs> so when I go back and listen to stuff, I'm like, I would have never have played that in a session. And, and I had to kind of relearn my parts. Um, and that's what is fun about Grinder Blues. I mean, it's a, you can overthink things and you can shoot from the hip. And the thing I like about Grinder Blues is that everybody plays what they want to play. You shoot from the hip and you just mash it all up and you go and you mix it and, and put out the record. So I'm really proud of both of these records. I think they're really cool. But that's that's how this is. I mean, there's drum fills all over the vocal and stuff like that that we would have never done. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, on, on the latest record, you know, you guys are talking about your tone and Jay was talking about playing heavier and, and Scott, you were talking about you're not necessarily playing like clean guitars and whatnot. But I really love the production on this record. I mean, it's real, it seems like a clean production, but you can hear everybody and nobody's getting stepping on anybody else's toes mm. and you all have great 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 tone on your instruments i just Thank you. I, I had to say that it just Thanks. <laughs> i'm super Thanks. happy with the guitar tones on this record everybody that listens to this record says the same thing and yeah it's a great tone record. oh man i mean that that telly that i use has just got some magic sauce in it but it's also i recorded most of this with my buddha super drive 30 yeah, which is just like this magic amp too, you know. But yeah, man, I mean, you know, the the just the wideness of the sounds, the way the telly really comes through. I am super geeked about the guitar sounds on this record, and also the rev, you know, all the slide stuff. That's that what I was going to ask. I know you play Reverend, so you were still using the Reverend. Yeah, that's uh, basically I use the P90 on that guitar almost yeah. exclusively, which is in the neck, and it gives it that super fat sound. Because a lot of times when you when you hear blues records like Johnny Winter, for instance, who I love, but his slide tone is so bitey, you know, it's Ooh. just really, and, and I, I don't like that. I like a, a much fatter slide tone and uh, yeah, that rev totally that P90. Just well, I mean, with that bass roll off knob on a reverend, you can get a lot of cool sounds out of, I've, I've got a man array, but it's, it's both hum yeah. humbuckers. Yeah. I always have the roll off off. I never use, yeah. I very rarely I'll pull it. Sometimes if I'm using it on the humbucker, I'll pull that in just a little bit just to little fatten bit, it yep. up air but uh for the most part um yeah i have it off and i just use that p90 although my guitar you can blend the the pickups and there's a p90 and a, and a humbucker so i do blend sometimes i wind up somewhere 
you know, in the middle or 75% P90. It just kind of depends. But like an, another way around is uh, my probably my favorite tone on the record as far as the slide stuff goes. And that was all the P90. It was very fat, you know. So, Doug, uh, what, are you playing your same uh, same rigs that you play in King's X, or what what'd you use on the record? Yeah. I know you play with a pick, right? And cause, yeah, I just love your tone on the yeah. record. I, I have my own signature bass amp, so I used it on this record. I use it on everything I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> I the short answer would, is yes, I, Brian. I probably wouldn't <laughs> have had as much high end in, in the mix. But uh, but everybody else wanted it there, so you know I ain't gonna argue people because people tell me what they like. Um, but it was fun. Um, I don't know, it was just just Doug Brace. <laughs> right on. Doug, yeah, there you go. So where do we record this newest album? So it came out in 2021. Eldos, like where'd you mm -hmm. record? Who'd you produce? Who produced it? Can I tell the story? Um, yeah, go ahead, Dougie. But uh, I wanted like, I to say that Miles Fullwider is the uh, he was a really great producer on that. But take it, Dougie. Yeah, Miles uh, was a teacher down in this uh, uh, blues college in Cleveland, Mississippi, and uh, I guess they teach kids the blues there. And he had a he had a state of the art studio in the college, and he said, "Come on down, make a record." And so we came down and made the record. I think we even did some a couple things in front of a class. But uh, they put us up uh, in a house and stuff. And uh, so we made this blues record there. And we went down to Crossroads, uh, right down the road. Uh, we went to the Dockery where all those blues players uh, picked cotton. Uh, so we were in the thick of it, basically, is where it all started. And I have a lot of relatives that lived there, which I didn't know. So um, it, it was in the middle of nowhere, Cleveland, Mississippi, right, over, right, uh, right next to Mississippi River down in the, the Mississippi Delta. So for me personally, that record has a lot of uh, feelings in it. And a lot of the lyrics are about being down there. So that's my take on it. What do you guys want to say? <laughs> no, that's, that's pretty it. much it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it was, pretty, it was pretty magical to be down there. I do think that there was some juice flowing through us because yeah. of that. The spirit you know, of the blues. Was... I mean, look where you guys are recording. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. I'll say one thing. What I learned... It was, uh, I did not know that the slide guitar technically came from uh, the Hawaiians. Hawaiians. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know Black that. Mm -hmm. Mecca leka hai, mecca haini ho to the Hawaiians. Like the, the lap steel stuff they were doing, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. 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 It was the slack, it was called slack key guitar. And, and uh, one of these, uh, one of these slide guitar players from Hawaii was at Dockery uh farms and sort of started spreading this thing around and it just took off like wildfire now you got to yeah. figure that was probably late 1800s early 1900s because by the time the blues really started to take off i mean what we're talking the 20s so it was a 20-year yeah. process yeah. from these guys mm -hmm. to get that information but by the time they got it and started really putting it into the blues that's when it became a blues staple you know yeah. so do you guys think uh you know from being down there uh, recording in Mississippi, it, you know, just that spirit and the sound of the room, did that that uh, play into how the record sounds? Well, you know. <laughs> that was a big-ass room, though. That was, that that was really? the biggest room. <laughs> Holy the crap, recording studio? You know? <laughs> what is, that was the biggest room that I have ever recorded in by far. I mean, that was, like, incredible. But, you know, um, uh, 
Steve Cropper actually had a really good quote about being down there and stuff like that. It, it's something in the air. When you're pushing air, it has uh, some sort of different air uh, to the whole thing. And, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, maybe he's right. The air just pushes different down there. It's thick and humid. It's Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. It was, um, yeah, you, know, you knew you were down in the Mississippi. You knew that. You yeah. Know, or I felt like, because I have a kin with the South and the North, growing up in the North and watching what happened in the South in the 50s and 60s. When I go to the South, I still remember all the stories and all the horror that happened. And I've never gotten over it as a child. So going to Mississippi, uh, there was a lot of, there's a lot was going on in my mind. Okay. And I'm driving down these two lane road highways going, you know, uh, for 45 miles in the middle of nowhere, driving at speed limit because I didn't want to get pulled over because I'm black and I have right. weed. You know, and so I, I was a bit, bit anxious. And then I got to this one corner and the highway said, make a left or a right. I can't remember. And I turned and there was a sign that said the Mississippi River. And it was a two lane uh, bridge that went up as far as I could see. I couldn't see the top of it. And <laughs> as I started driving over it, all I could hear was a clump, clump clump, 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 clump. And I'm going over the fucking Mississippi River. Uh, and I got to the top and I couldn't see nothing but black everywhere. It was late at night. And I just took my time and just drove down the other side and then said, I'll never go back across that river ever again. Um, I want to see it in the daytime too, is what, what, what it was, because it's fucking scared the shit out of me. <laughs> And so being in this is, there was a lot about that. You know, I wrote a song, yeah. but it's the first song on the record, actually. I'll find another way around. Oh, no but, kidding. Uh, yeah. But it was an interesting, interesting place. And my family comes from there. Uh, there's a place called Batesville. And my dad's last name is Bates. And my sister told me that my dad's family comes from Lowell County, which is the middle of where we were at. And um, my grandmother was born on an Indian reservation, which is about 10 miles west. So I, when I got there, it was like, you're like, my DNA and everything was there. It was a oh, really, no it was a real trip. And it was, a, and I didn't realize that my family lived there when all that shit was happening, when the blues was happening. You know, I probably had relatives, aunts and uncles, great aunts and uncles who worked at the dockery with those people, you know. And uh, my dad always said he wanted to be a, he thought he wanted to be famous. He sounded like, uh, 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 what was I forgot the guy's name now, but, but uh, he had a great uh, old jazz singing voice, like those blues players. So, so yeah, a lot, a lot of history there too. So, so I'm kind of attached to this record in so many ways, kind of stupid. Anyway. <laughs> well, yes. me. Go ahead, Brian. When you guys talk about, you know, something in the air, something in the water or whatever it just it reminds me what people say about muscle shoals as well yeah yeah you know i mean that's mm -hmm. definitely part of the deal i mean yeah. muscle shoals the whole thing i mean those, those were sounds and you know the the genre yeah i mean it, it's got something you know with the air like muscle shoals and being in yeah. mississippi things like that so it was it was really incredible we got to go to the crossroads and hang out and we did drink a little bit and have some fun yeah. <laughs> Took the tour of the Dockery too. They told us the whole story about 
the whole reason yeah why that the, was the, that the, was the front game yeah yeah so that was we, it was we, i gotta tell you man when i showed up down there uh to record i just thought we were going to go in the studio like we did before um, me too at the palms and i and but the whole thing the tutorial that they gave us on what was happening down there was incredible and i, I when i listen to that record i think about a lot of that so, yeah me too did you guys have songs ready when you went down because doug you, you know you said you kind of wrote the first song on the album about i we didn't did we have songs we didn't have any songs really did we guys no, not no, really I mean, I can't, we just I we just went down we had some riffs yeah, yeah, yeah I can't we, some riffs that i had but i don't think we had any complete songs done yeah um i had some ideas of riffs that i wanted to do mm -hmm. but i mean that's and, how this that's and, how both these records work and the melodies and choruses we we worked on those all together too didn't we? Yeah, yeah 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 this is pretty what a pretty much a spontaneous type record that's in what i love that, about in, this. in I mean, a that's... way that works now i've done a couple spontaneous records <laughs> And they, you know, they, you can spend a I lot still, of time in the studio, still, spend a lot of money you don't want to spend. Yeah, I still hold my head in shame. But um, <laughs> but in this band, we can shit out stuff so quickly, and it's so much fun. And then we go do it, and yeah, and there's no there's no bullshit, there's no pretense, and and um, you know, it's even you know, there's nothing to lose really. Yeah, you know, that's true. I got a thing to lose. I mean, there's people that don't like what we do. We don't care. Who, who are know? they? Name them right now on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get them. We got a big social media that's presence. I, yeah, we'll that's ruin their lives. Like. Well, that's what I love about uh, having the freedom to do what I do, yeah. and not giving a fuck what people think, because I do what I do, and we do what we do, and at the end of the day if we ain't happy doing what we're doing, then we're fucking idiots if we're doing it for somebody else. So that's where I stand. And I love Grinder Blues and I, I want to dumb it down even more and get more into just fucking go way back down where, where Robert Johnson was, you know? I mean, get, let's break it down and have some fun and see how dirty we can get with that, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. there's so many avenues you can go to with blues. And, yeah. and, you, and you stay inside the box and, and, and there's so much more to learn, you know, because I learned a lot being down there. And I think from then to now, we've all learned a lot, you know, and I, I can't wait to do another record and see what we come up with. Yeah, yeah so, I, mean, I mean, that sounds cool. I, I'd be down for that. Even uh, like you're saying, kind of even make it a little more raw. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, man. I mean, I, I love that. And, you know, speaking of records and things like that, I want to do a little shout out to our new record label who uh, Thomas and those guys are doing such a great job. And, you know, to get the music out there uh, is the hardest part of this whole industry. And so kudos to them. So we really we appreciate that. Yeah, agreed. So with all the other things you guys are all involved with, like how how many shows are you guys able to do with Grinder Blues? I mean, obviously, people are just coming back from you know, being able to play after the pandemic. So what, what, how often are you guys being able to play and get out with this? We just did a short uh, tour. COVID is definitely a thing. And yeah. still uh, Doug and I are out of uh, LA and um, yeah. LA is still very skittish. Mm -hmm. um, so we're taking offers really. Um, we had an offer to do a three day deal, um, three night deal, I should say. And uh, we went and did that tour. And so it's going to go the way that it's going to go. It's nice that, um, you know, we're associated with a lot of great people that can get us out there and doing that stuff. But it's really one of those things that's got to be worth our time. 
you know, to, to go out there and do that. So, right on. I mean, we played so, the whiskey, yeah. which was great to yeah. play there. And we played Vamped in Vegas, which is another one of my favorite places to play. Uh, it was a nice little run, but you know, it's, uh, it's just such a different business now than it used to yeah. be, you know, like just talking about the lay, you know, the label and, and how happy we are with those guys. And Doug is, is talking a lot about the, I mean, we really have <clears throat> on the good side, we really have more control now than we ever used to like everything's a licensing deal now. So we basically just make whatever record we want and license it to the label and that's it. They got it. You know, there's no input from the label or, or, uh, well, you know, what's cool about that is, it, to Jabo's point, is that it, the creative control yeah, is phenomenal a, in this project. I mean, I don't tell Doug what to play. He doesn't tell me what to play. I don't tell Jabo what to play. Nobody tells anybody what to play, and we knock this stuff out. And um, we, Well, the label we doesn't tell us what to play either. What's that? <laughs> the label doesn't tell us what to play either. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. The point. creative, that label yeah. just, well, you know, they're like, yes or no. So there's not that, you know, we think this one's a single or not. I mean, it, it, this is a... a it's a good thing. And I think it's really cohesive. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with the new record. I, I, I know if it, uh, if everything, you know, works out uh, with this pandemic and all the bullshit, you know, we're ready to go. And, um, you know, I'm, I guess everyone's working on, on gigs and seeing what's up. So uh, basically the answer to your question is we're ready to go play anytime, you know, uh, and the way it's going right now, you know, we just have to roll with the tides. Um, yeah. you know, because you know, people just, you know, they, they, uh, they're still afraid in some places. So, yeah, that's true. If What's you guys ever talk to the rival sons, tell them we want to go out on a road with them. <laughs> oh yeah. They're getting ready to come out. They're actually coming. The closest place to me, Jaybo, is Fort Wayne, Indiana. I think they're playing, but I think they're playing do some, do some Michigan gigs. Yeah. Yeah, they are. In fact, they just had a show. They had a, a show with Dorothy or yeah. Dorothy's on the road opening with for them. They mm. got yep. canceled because one of the band members in Dorothy got mm. COVID yep. and they canceled. That's right. Man, that's, that's the thing, man. Every day is yeah. a COVID test, man. It's kind of all the yeah. stuff you got to go through to go on the road. It's kind of scary. You know, I mean, we had to, um, I had someone sat me down and uh, explained to me exactly what I would have to go through to go on tour. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually said, <laughs> I don't think I want to do this. You yeah. know, and this, this is a few months ago where, I mean, you got to take a COVID test every day, mm -hmm. you know, and if, and if you have a symptom, you know, you can't meet people, you can't have meet and greet, you can't hang out with people, you walk on stage, you walk off, you wear a mask, the, right. the, the road crew has to wear a mask, you know, you get on a tour bus, it has to be wiped down, cleaned out, you know, then the hotel rooms, and after a while, it's like, we're in fucking prison, and, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if I got to do that, I ain't ready, you know. So uh, this tour that we did wasn't that bad because, you know, I, I think things have lightened up, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, this is what we've had to deal with. So that's why when people say, when's your next tour, when you're going on a tour, well, we don't know. We're yeah. still trying to figure out what climate is, you know, that's my point. Right. We had uh, Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke on in November. Nah, he he, he hey, talked, yeah, man, that's a great band too. We like should go on the road guy. with those guys. You should go, you should <laughs> totally go on the road with Blackberry. Let's do yeah, that. That would be, be phenomenal. Me, but he told a story where I think they were in Jacksonville, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but they were getting ready to go on. It was their spirit of the South tours. Right. So they had like the wild feathers and um, the, De the almond bats band. Anyways, they're getting ready to go on and freaking Paul Jackson tests positive, right? Right before they're supposed to go on, go on the stage and they had to pull out and all the stuff wow. that caused with that. So 
I, I'm sure all the hoops you got to jump through, Doug, like you spoke about, just the nerves of every time am I going to yeah. test positive? How's this going to screw mm-hmm. up everything else? You know, it's, it's, I feel for you guys. Yeah, it's been tough. I got to tell you, man, it has been rough. You know, you can't knock out professional musicians for two years and, you know, to get into your uh, savings and credit cards and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And you're like seeing how it's going to go. And and you're not making a record. You're not making a living with records. You're making a living through touring and merchandise. Yeah, exactly. And when that gets shut down, you really got, you know, you got a heavy problem. Thank God there's not a war on the horizon thank god there's no not a potentially world war three happening yeah i know thank god for that so we're we're we should i read something somebody goes you survived the pandemic just just to you know see world war three happen i'm like oh my god i'm super depressed Uh, now yeah no kidding well you know but you guys are great man we appreciate everything you're doing so Oh, well, thank you very much. We're all about <laughs> celebrating good music, and you know, and what's tough too, and for for you guys again with great pedigrees for all three of you is man, rock radio and just music. Like, there's no, there's really no good platform, um, or at least original old school platforms like in rock mm. stations. There's no really no MTV to promote right. bands and promote stuff. So, you know, Brian started this whole thing to be able to do that to find freaking cool bands, get them on, like get them some notoriety, and just so we can shoot the shit with people that we like. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, man. We appreciate all the support and uh, we'll come to town and you guys got to come out and have a couple of drinks with us. Oh yeah. And throw down a little bit. Jeez, Absolutely. I was wondering why the whole reaction went better. Why it was going so good. Come over. I'll cook you dinner. It seems like every time I think like, well, man, we're not going to come across another band. Another one pops up. Another one pops up, and they're just and it's all kind of been in within the genre. I wanted to throw a name out there. I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy or heard him, but uh, Harless Sweetwater. Do you know who he is? He's like a ferocious, like ferocious blues. <laughs> no. He's pretty cool. Yeah, you have to check him out, man. I guess I do. I need some ferociousness in my life. Well, you two LA, you two LA dudes, uh, Fab Fab Grossi. Do you guys know him? No, no don't know that either. What? He Brian? He knows everybody in the mothers. <laughs> these guys don't know Fab. Go figure. <laughs> He's a producer in LA, but he also has a couple side projects, including Supersonic Blues Machine and then Soul Garage. I've heard of Supersonic uh, Groove Machine, I believe. Yeah. And, yeah, and cool. Now man. he's doing Soul Garage right now, but he's worked with like um, um, Warren Haynes and like Billy Gibbons and all these other people. And very good, very good. He's uh, sounds like our kind of dude. He yeah, was totally we'll check him out. So I got a quick question for you guys too, kind of going back on what you said a little bit. Given the way that kind of the rock industry is these days, and you guys were talking about, hey, our label doesn't put us any pressure on us to do anything. We can kind of do what we want. That's certainly different how the industry was 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, how do you guys find that? Is that refreshing for you? Like, is that a good thing? Well, I mean, it's refreshing to the point that Jabo, you know, it is a licensing deal to a certain extent. And that's how artists can keep um, creative control and stuff like that. If the label likes it, they want to put it out. Well, then it's already done, et cetera, et cetera. I don't see, you know, 20 years ago, they were still doing development. See, see, back then it was different. Now it's sort of like we're all in this together. Right. It's like like they try to sell us and we all can make some money. And that's at the end of the day because, you know, there's no money up front. If they put a million dollars on it, so fuck yeah, we'd be everywhere. 
you know, right. but but nobody's mm-hmm. got that kind of money. It take it takes a million dollars to get a single single out there and to give it any traction at all. And so there's there's no record company that'll give you that kind of money. They won't give it to anybody unless they know it's like Beyonce or something. And um, so we're we're back to the way it was back in the fifties and sixties, you know, where you got on the road and you did the chitlin' circuit and you played and you made records and they became classics. And uh, you have a history of a life that you lived and and the good times and the bad times, you know, and that's that's what from to me, that's what life is all about. And in this band is the same way, because um, I don't see this band as the next big thing, you know, because the only way you can be the next big thing is somebody puts a couple million dollars behind you. Right. You know, so for us is what we get. We're glad we get it. And the people that love us, they truly love us because we're not bullshit. And I hold my head up because I got nothing to prove anymore and I don't care. You know, so uh, that's the biggest thing I love about this band. It's easy and simple. I'm an old grandpa, you know, and I just want to <laughs> go out there and, and crawl on and say, you know, you know, I'll be 72 coming up not too far from now. So, right, man, you're so, looking pretty good. To be honest. Well, I'm well, thank surprised you. to hear that. I love to brag about it, but uh, <laughs> um, but I think about that. You know, it's it's like I remember seeing little Richard when he he said, "Hey, I'm turning seventy. He says I might not be here that much longer." And I I, I was in the arena watching little Richard talk about, you know, think about him. He might be living there. Now I'm going. Well, I'm seventy one now. You know, so I'm thinking, but I don't think of it that way. You know, uh, right. But the reality hits me. It's like, yeah, dude, you're still pushing it. So, so keep an eye on yourself and uh, enjoy every moment. You know, that's that's where I'm at right now. Is every every moment's got to be a good moment. You know, they say when you get in the seventies and eighties, you're supposed to get better. You know, life gets better. You know, I want to be able to say that 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 this is I'm I'm smooth sailing. You know, right on. Right so, Jabo and Scott, have you been in? the music business as long as Doug, because one thing that I want to ask people that have been in the music business, when it was gigantic until the transition in the early two thousands and file sharing and all that, like pros and cons of of each era, you know, I mean, I know you guys are talking about how things are more, you can kind of do what you want. And I think somebody mentioned that nowadays, like rock and roll has gotten back into an almost outlaw kind of position. So what's your take on the business then and now? Well, I can hop in here. I think that, um, I mean, Doug can comment more on major label type stuff and, and how the whole, that machine went. I mean, Scott and I have been signed off and on throughout the years, um, but it's, it's just such a different environment now. I mean, as soon as things, I mean, Spotify, I could go on about this forever, but Spotify has ruined the music business. I don't know how labels stay in business anymore, to be honest with you. And so I think, as Doug said, we're all in this together now. Like everybody is really trying to navigate this new music business where Mm. the music is a vehicle really for selling other things. You know, Mm. I mean, it's like, so we're, we're lucky in one, in one regard where we're able to do what we want and, and put out a product that we're proud of, that we're happy with. Nobody's up our ass trying to tell us that there's no single, there's no this, there's no that. And it turns, it turns into a project that we're, we're all happy with and proud of. Um, on the other hand, 
we don't have the million dollar advertising budgets anymore. We don't have labels behind you that are going to push, push, push until by God, you're just as successful right. as they want you to be. Mm -hmm. And so exposure is these days, it is, it's a drop in the ocean. I mean, it's okay. Put your song up on Spotify. Okay, great. You and every other billion artist that's out there, it's all there for everybody to, to yep. consume basically for free is the other thing you yeah. know it's like we just had this conversation while we we're on the road here but it's like why would anybody i mean look i still do this i think you guys probably still do this i know doug and scott do we buy cds because we yep. like the mm -hmm. band and we 100 percent yeah yep but the well, thing is, is that your average music listener you know your your bro country fan you know mm. your uh your your uh, <clears throat> pop fan your younger kids they don't buy the record they go to Spotify and pay $10 a month to get every right. song that's ever been recorded. Why would you go and spend you 10, see, 12, $15 on a record? We make money off a of product now being a yeah. product. And that's why it's, it's sometimes it's not as much fun. I mean, back in the fifties, when I was a kid, you know, I remember they would go into that studio and sing that one song twice and while the record was recording it, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the coal, which was, they made records with back then, you know, that brushed the, the dirt away. I remember those things as a kid, the wind up record plays and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even then, you know, they'd pay the person a little bit of money to sing a song and then Chess Records went and made all the money. You know, it, it's it's always been that way. Somebody had money and somebody sold it, sold you. Nowadays, since that is over and Spotify and all that's just come along and music is free. Now, what we have to do is we have to play our music for free and sell our T-shirts and sell our pictures and sell mm -hmm. our time you know and you know you know meet and greets they yeah yeah meet and greets are big man it's a way to it's yeah. a way to pad, pad um, the bank yeah you know the the other thing is you know if you're a rock star just somebody says uh send a message to my girlfriend and tell her how much hi this is doug from right. king's x and you're you know and they give well, you, you got cameo right that's not right. a thing too. you can sign up to cameo sure so so i guess my point is there ha there has been a shift like it's always been shifting, you know, from Peter Frampton in the 50s and I mean, in the 70s and Fleetwood Mac who sold zillions of records and then corporations popped in. Mm -hmm. You know, every, every 10 years, there was always a new twist when drum machines popped up in the 80s and drummers lost their guns. This is just another transition. We're just older and we're just going along with it. I was born 1950. I've been here since, since rock and roll started yep. and I've watched it morph into what it is now. And I still see it, see it morphing. I, I'm starting to see a, I'm a clearer picture now of where it's going. But the biggest thing now is the only way you can make a living is sell your product. Um, and I hope we don't lose our soul in the process. And, you know, just like the Beatles, just like any band that came along that just revolutionized the world, I think something will happen again where it'll break, bring everyone back to ground zero musically. And a new generation will happen and a new generation will have something to say. And we, and we should be proud of them, <laughs> you know, cause this is progress. This is what it's going to be. Yeah, right on. My other yeah. question pertaining to that is I wonder, you know, I've always heard like the cost of making a record is astronomical. And I wonder how that works now without the, well, you know, the everyone, record company. Everyone, everyone has their own studios. You know, studios are so cheap. 
You can get yeah. Pro Tools and a couple mics and make a record at home. And that's right. what everybody's doing. Um, uh, recording studios are hardly making any money. Most of them are folding because nobody, the only thing people do really is go in and do drums in a studio, a state-of-the-art studio. Get them, Just because the miking, every, the sound, right? right. Sounds a little yeah, bit, that's yeah. absolutely yeah, right. You know, every, Everybody goes home and they make their records and that's how we all do this now. That's how, yeah. that's how we've gotten through because record companies are not giving you money anymore. And, no. and you know, for me personally, I mean, I've, I've uh, lately made a, a record that cost us a lot of money to do. And I feel like it was in my heart, I thought we, this was really a waste, but we had to do this to do the way the record company wants you to do it, to make a record so they'll sell it. But I felt like, wow, we wasted a lot of money back in the day making records when we didn't need to, because yeah. you can still make great music without spending a month making a record you know you can do it in a couple of weeks van halen anyway well well jason is it that time of the show yeah so guys what we normally do towards <laughs> the end of the interview <laughs> is we do, we do a little bit of a, a lightning round <laughs> where we just have lightning like, round yeah a little bit oh just, my god i wasn't trying to cut you guys off we're just an intro to the no lightning that's round. good man let's wrap it up <laughs> no let's yeah. do it because you got to cut me off <laughs> We don't want to cut anybody off. Um, it's it's just some fun questions we'll do, like short, simple, fun shit, not really deep. So if you guys are game to it, we'll we'll roll over a couple of questions. All right, let's do it. All right, Doug, we'll start uh, with you since okay. you're the elder statement of rock here. What is the first concert that you remember going to? Rock concert or concert? Concert. Uh, Ray Charles uh, with oh, the Raylex. I was twelve. Where did you see him? Uh, in Chicago. Oh, right on. How was took, that? I remember he made a joke and said, hey, last night when I was watching TV, I was blah, 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 and everybody started laughing. And that's when the first time I ever heard a blind man make a joke about himself. Watching TV. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then in the Raylettes, they're singing, they had the red dresses on. And, they was, and it was really, really cool. My uncle took me and my, my cousin, who was the same age as I am. Uh, it was awesome. That's going to be hard to beat. That's going to be hard to beat. So, guys, oh, I, I want to ask James you James Brown question. when I was 16. Very cool. <laughs> that was my second concert. I had mine already. James Brown when I was 16, so 1966. So it was right at the height. And uh, I remember being in the 13th row, watching him spin around, doing please, please, please with the cape. And all the girls screaming and hollering. Well, anyway, okay. I think we're done with the interview. I think we're not going to go past anymore from this. There's not a whole lot more we could talk about. No, there's a whole lot more. Come on, man. <laughs> All right, J-Bo, you said you had yours ready. What, what was your first concert you went to? Mine was Rush at uh, Moving Pictures Tour at Notre mm. Dame. Notre wow. Dame? Yeah, first wow. time I ever got a contact high. I can tell you. Like, <laughs> were they playing the stadium? No, man, it was in the Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, that was what, you know, 1980, probably something like that. 82, maybe one. I don't know. I can't remember. It was in the basketball arena. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. It probably did. Yeah. Wow. All right. Lil B, do I call you Lil B? What did you want to be called again? Young B, Lil B? You can call me anything but late for dinner. Young B. Anything from late for dinner. <laughs> I I told you I'd screw that up. I completely Young screwed it up. So I either, Scotty, uh, Scott Billman, Little Billman, whatever. Little uh, Billman, Little Billman. Yeah, my uh, I got two for you actually. Okay. Um, because one was 
my mom actually took me to the Holiday Star Theater in Maryville, and it was Jefferson Starship, and she said it was way too loud. Really? So we left early. Uh, but then the, the, the concerts that really changed my life, that it was like, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I was thinking about ever, you know, at that point, thinking about being a professional musician, et cetera. But I, I got to say, man, it was UFO. I knew oh, you were really? going to say that. That was UFO, my second. UFO, yeah. man. I, 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 that oh, was great. the greatest uh, concert yeah. ever. I, to that me, I mean, great, at that time. Great live band. Yeah, yeah, man, that was a great show, and that was a great I, one. I, I saw him live in Chicago when back then. Yeah, right on. We might have went to the, really we good live went to the album. same show. Yeah, <laughs> you, got, you guys it. might have been the same show. <laughs> yeah, you're a kid, but possible. All right, go. I'm going to throw this one to the brothers to start with. What's the first concert you guys have ever played? We ever well, played? Jesus. Not necessarily together, but like first show you guys have ever played. Junior high, high oh, school. First show we ever played, I'm sure, was together. I mean, we've been playing music since day, together since day one. Um, yeah. Man, I, geez, I don't know. That is impossible to say. I'm sure it was at some uh, blues dive somewhere that <laughs> we played for free. You know, I, gee, I don't know, man. I can't even think of it. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. I mean, that that's, I wish the honest answer is uh the history goes back so far and my memory is getting worse by the day i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> Doug, it wasn't about you? fairly unmemorable because i remember the first right? concert i went to and i just remember uh, bad guitar solos you know just, just bad, bad guitar it, solos but it wasn't your brother it was somebody else obviously yeah right <laughs> that's right i don't um uh i i, I don't know about a band first let me say it this way i was six when i sang uh in church okay and this lady came down after i got done singing and she got on her knees and she put her hands on me and started speaking in tongues and said all this stuff uh and i remember looking around feeling weird yeah um second time was i was like nine or ten they asked me to sing a contest in the school that I was in and I won first place and from that point on I've always just I don't remember ever not singing in front of people I sang when I didn't have to I, I think maybe it gave me self-esteem or attention or something I don't know what it was but so all through school I was in the band in the choir um, in high school and grade school um, and then, like late in high school, uh, a friend of mine who played keyboards wanted me to, to sing in a band. And I thought, you know, I didn't really want to do it. I was kind of going, well, I don't care. And he had me come to this rehearsal and I sang and we became a band. We were called Stoneflower. Um, and from that point on, I sang in bands until I was 23 when I started playing bass. Okay. And then, then I learned to play bass. And then after that, I started playing bass in bands. And because I've been singing all my life, um, I always was a singer in the band. And so it kind of became what I did. And that's that's all I remember. Is it's just, it's just year after year, there was something new happening. And you just keep moving till today, you know. Have you ever been in a band that wasn't a three-piece? Yeah. Um, the first three bands I think I was in 
Well, before, put it this way, before King's X, all the bands I was in had a keyboard player okay. and a guitar player. Uh, the first band actually had brass, keyboard player, two guitars. We did Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, nice. All the transitory yeah. stuff. Some like um, funk music, yeah. Yeah, it was like that rock and roll thing, you know. Like soul funk, happening. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we were very good, but, you know, <laughs> but, and, and, you know, and so then I formed another band called Servant. We had a keyboard player. We sounded like Yes in Kansas. We liked that kind of stuff. So it's so a lot of a lot of parts and key changes and stuff. But I sang in everything um, all the way up till now, you know. Nice. Fantastic. Uh, J-Bo. Greatest yeah. guitar. Uh, I I've got a um, my my greatest guitar is a '73 Strat. It's my number one Strat that I use. It's uh, it's a completely um, I call it the Strat of Various at this point. It's 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 not vintage in any way, shape, or form. But it's my kind of my very first real uh, blues guitar, you know. Mm -hmm. And Stevie was really big at the time, and so that was that was part of it. That's near and dear to my heart. My very first guitar was, believe it or not, a Kramer Striker, which I still have. What color is it? Um, it's white, but I've got stickers all stickers, over it. Stickers, yeah, of you, course. You guys might have seen some pictures. I, I you know, I, I still use it all the time. I mean, it's a great guitar. And Hell yeah. It's, uh, and it's uh, fun stuff. And the serial number on it is 0001. Whoa. Wow. Which I know when I bought it, I had no idea. <laughs> that is awesome. That is yeah. awesome. I just picked up a Kramer Beretta special because they're like under 200 bucks and I've been modding it. It's hot pink. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting some stickers on. I've got my junkyard sticker on us. So I need to get a grinder, grinder blue sticker to put on there. Yeah, we need to get some awesome. stickers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get some yeah, stickers man. so I can put them on my guitar, guys. Come on. Right on. All right, Scott, who's the greatest drummer? Uh, bar none, in my opinion, Neil Pert. There you go. You got, got got rush. We're going going back to rush there. Yeah. yeah we're were you at that show at Notre Dame with your brother? I was not, but we uh, have frequenced. Um, I've only seen Rush twice. Uh, <laughs> however, though, this is I won't make this a long story because we've been on here a long time. But um, I got a book on Alfred Publishing on how to play drums and stuff. And we're Musicians Institute graduates. Uh, I went down there for this book thing, and I got to share this green room with Alex and um getty lee man oh shit so for two and a half hours i got to hang out with these guys and ask them all the questions in the world and it was a giant thing to me because i gotta say those guys are gods to me yeah you know they're gods to me and i and i and i love rush so much but by far uh neil wasn't there but man um by far no matter how you slice it neil perds the is the he did more for drumming than i think anybody has and i'll leave it at that all right, follow-up question. Best bass player, singer, Getty Lee or Doug Pinnock? Oh, <laughs> shit. That's easy. No, I'll just hey, I'll tell you what, well, man. That's, that's, that's easy. Yeah, um, you know, I'm going to go to a... Uh, we can just a say that there's no... You, know, you don't compare things like that. I'm not here trying to break up Grinder Blues as you guys are just getting... No, getting you, don't, you don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of person when someone says, who's the greatest, I always, no matter what, will tell you that there's nobody who's the greatest it's all in your mind well, that's who's right the greatest. It, well it's all because you can't opinion, there, there right? is no there is, there is no they're better than the other there is no. none my know? answer to that would be if i had to go to a desert island and they said you could only take you know a few cds something like that it would probably be rush king's x 
I mean, probably Rush and King's X. I mean, yeah. uh, they both have touched me so much, you know. Bless so. you. Trios, all trios. We're trying to make uh, Grinder Blues a duo, but I won't tell you which one is going to get cut. <laughs> the guy with the <laughs> shitty guitar solos, right? Is that where we're <laughs> I will defend J-Bo, though, because I'm a guitar player myself. So, I mean, what, I'll, I'll pick you up, J-Bo, if you need it. You know. <laughs> we both have reverence, so that's also that brotherhood right there. Right on, man. Right All on. right, man. All right, I'm going to do quick two last quick questions for you because I know you guys have given us a lot of time. I appreciate it. So, Doug, we'll start with you. Give us a guilty pleasure song or artist. Guilty pleasure song like, or something artist. Something we'd be surprised to find out that you like. Oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know the name of it. It was from the sound of, uh, it was South Pacific. Okay. This play out of the 30s. Yeah. And um, um, it was the ballad that the guy sang to his, this, uh, this uh, Asian beautiful woman that he was falling in love with and he was in the army. But I can't remember the name of it, but it's just one of those beautiful songs I ever heard. And he sung it just so amazing, like a Frank Sinatra type of thing. Right so the musical South Pacific. All right, that's good, yeah. man. For a punk rock guy like you, that's that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go down that hole next time we talk. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not, for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. We usually get a lot of disco when we ask this question too. There's also a lot of disco <laughs> stuff that goes out there. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Jabo, what about you? Give us a guilty pleasure. Uh, I'd say Sarah McLaughlin. Ooh. As long yeah. as it's not the video, on, the commercial on TV where they're showing the animals, I can't <laughs> ah, I can I listen agree. to I can't see that. I totally agree with that. That's a great song, though. I mean, that's uh, no, Sarah, ruined. I, 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 I love Sarah McLaughlin, man. She's, I, I'm not so much in love with her new stuff, but I mean, I've been a big fan of hers forever. I think she's one of the best lyricists yeah. uh, that rock has ever produced. And her early music was just great. I loved it. Oh, for sure. You know, I'm at the college in the 90s, so I, she was front and center. Yeah, man. During all that Lilith Fair mu- movement, she's good. But yeah, now right. she just suppresses me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what about which give us a guilty pleasure? I would say uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Um, oh, Nick Cave, man. There's a lot of people love Nick Cave. Like Brian and I are big Black Crows fans, and we know Rich Robinson loves Nick Cave. Oh, okay, cool, man. Yeah, they did a, uh, a soundtrack to um, the assassination of Jesse James. Um, oh, by, by the, the Cow Robert Ford. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. And um, when I'm traveling, uh, flying or, dri- or driving, flying, whatever, it, it is a uh, uh, it's a fantastic soundtrack. And so and that's kind of uh, my guilty pleasure, indeed. Yep, good one. Okay, last question, and we're going to go opposite direction. So, Scott, we're going to st- start with you. If you can play on stage with one artist or band, living or dead, for one night, who are you choosing? Oh, wow. Boy, that's a hard question. You know, honestly, um, I'm such a Springsteen fan. I think it would be Bruce Springsteen. Is there a particular song you'd absolutely have to make sure you guys played? Uh, Atlantic City. Oh, nice. I love the band's version of that song, too. I love Yeah, the band, band did a really great, great job. With oh, that. man. Yeah. Um, for real. Yeah. Good call. All right, no I would I would actually be playing guitar on that one, actually. Oh, because no. There's no drums on that, really. Oh, because uh, it's Atlantic like City. an But I got to say, thing. Yeah, yeah. anything uh, with Springsteen would be my thing. Keep going. Awesome. All right. J-Bo? Uh, I'd say Stevie Ray Vaughan. 
I would have loved to have sat and played with him. That would have been pretty awesome. <laughs> so when he looks over to give you the eye to take a solo, you ready? Oh, yeah, man. You got to step up and have your shit together. You would not be intimidated being on stage with him and him wanting you to rip it? Hey, I'm in a band with Doug Pinnick. If you're not intimidated by that, you there can you go. sing with anybody. That's a fair question. Is there a particular song that you'd want to play? Um, Probably a slow blues, Tin Pan Alley or something. Okay. You know, I play, I, I, in my band, I cover Couldn't Stand the Weather. Probably do that, too. That's, that's probably my favorite Stevie song. Nice. Dig it. All right, Doug. Last I would love to play least. with Jimi Hendrix. If I could play bass with Jimi Hendrix and Mitch yeah. Mitchell and lay that shit down, it would be so much, or Buddy Miles, you know, um, that, that would be a dream come true. Here's another thing though, Slam and Family Stone is my favorite band and Buddy Miles, when he passed away, they did a tribute for him. And uh, I was invited to sing some cover tunes. When I got there, Billy Cox didn't show up to play bass. So Buddy's band didn't have a bass player and there was no bass player for the night. And I know all Hendrix and Buddy Miles songs. I grew up learning them. They asked me to play bass. I brought my bass just in case something said, bring your bass. And I threw it in my trunk. And I got up and sang, or played. And um, lo and behold, here's Cynthia and Jerry from Sly and the Family Stone on stage and Gregorico on the drum set. And we're going to do four Sly and the Family Stone songs with Buddy, Buddy Miles' band. And we did. And that was probably the biggest dream that I can't think of anything other. I mean, and it, the, the grin on my face, there's, somebody's got pictures of that and I've never been able to find them. But I was, because those are my favorite bands that grew up. Yeah. So uh, that, that happened. That's pretty freaking badass. <laughs> and, and you got the cover manic depression too. Yeah, I've done that many yeah, times. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, we've done so Love that shows. version. Yeah, Hendrix is like, God. Mm. Well, gentlemen, we appreciate your time. We love yeah. Grind Your Blues, love what you guys are doing. Where do we go to find out more about Grind Your Blues, buy your music, buy your merch? Um, actually, Grind our, Blues. Social media, <laughs> our social media is probably the, mm. the best place to go for that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as things are developing, we're dealing with different agents. And I know that um, the pandemic really was hard on us. Uh, we would be already over in Europe and doing shows and things like that. Mm -hmm. But there's a big hold mm -hmm. on that. So we'll keep everybody posted. But I'd say stick with uh, our social media is probably okay, the yeah. best way to find us and go from there. And you like can buy I the always record, say, you can buy the oh, go ahead. Sorry, Dave. I was going to say, you can buy so the record on Amazon.com and at the Metalville uh, Record Shop, which if you go to Metalville website they have this record shop part you can buy it there um and at live shows you know hopefully we'll be having them there as well and yeah. you can go to grinderblues.com that's not yeah the most up-to-date information right. right but yeah but you like can Scott find said, the socials are probably the way to go yeah yeah, yeah. You, you can find us google yeah and doug you're pretty active on instagram as well too the our yeah. accounts fall on you and everything else so oh good oh you see all that crap <laughs> it's <laughs> I'm cooking and then look at me yeah man it's great it's it's, it's freaking awesome um what's up with king's x you guys got shows or anything uh, coming up too ty broke his finger wow so, so ain't nothing going on right now we're, we're we have a new record will be coming out before 2022 okay this is 22 yeah, I think it's, it's, the pandemic is made a time warp. Yes, yes, yes. So before <laughs> before the end of the year, we'll have a new 
record out. Um, we're in the middle of trying to get everything wrapped up. I mean, the record's done, you know, it's just when you put a record out and the label's doing it, they, they do their, you know, it's gotta be timing, right? You got to tour, you got to blah, blah, blah. Which yeah, is, yeah. You know, ain't nobody arguing with that. At least they're trying to do that for us. Well, we need the so, Grinder Blues tour. And we need the Grinder Blues tour saying. with Blackberry Smoke. Yeah, yeah man, so, let's make that happen. That that or fantastic. Uh, I will call right. Charlie up after this. Like, hey, Charlie. You know what? Do that. Do that. Don't, we're ready to go, man. <laughs> yeah, man. You That'd do that. Great. You'll get, uh, we'll give you the uh, uh, agent fee. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you the first fee. Well, I know all those guys. I'll ask them what their management is. And get, get it all you should. Sure? It would I be great. I know them all. Yeah, let's go do some of that. I keep forgetting about all that stuff because I'm just kind of like, let's go play. <laughs> you know, Blackberry Smoke, Government Mule. You guys would mm -hmm. fit in well with any of those guys. Yeah. Oh, I'd yeah. love to play with Government Mule. I would love to. Oh, God, yeah. That'd be those, awesome. Those you know, dudes I, are I mean, the, thing, the thing is, hey, if there's any, if there's a booking agency that can make that all happen, and we're down for it. That's That's the thing. You know, at the end of the day, it's all about booking and all about promoters and all about money and all about the bullshit. And people don't realize that we just can't get up and go and yep. play. You just can't roll into a city and say, yeah. hey, we're here. Can we play? Because well, someone's got a feed. I always see the yeah. stuff on like Twitter or Instagram. It's like, hey, you don't have a show here. And it's like, well, it's not like you're choosing not to play. Well, yeah, we can come yeah. to your house if you yeah. give us, like, we'll come to your house <laughs> if you give us X amount of dollars. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's yeah. these days. That's yeah, you can spread the word. Um, we're definitely looking for a, a good uh, booking agent on yeah. this band on the road, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But man, you guys have been great. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, we're we are big fans. I love I love the new album El Dos that came out last year. Everybody who's listening, get both records. Go on the socials, follow them. Know when they're going to tour, buy their stuff. Let's support them so they get out, come to a city or town near you because these guys are great, Brian. Well, thank you so much to uh, the Billman brothers, j and Scott and Doug Pinnock um, right. and Grinder Blues. I love you guys. Uh, I'm going to be buying this. I do admit right. I have I have listened on Spotify, but like you guys said, we buy CDs. I'm going to be buying it and buying the first one uh, doing we'll do whatever we can to help you guys. And thank you so much for being on. It means the world to us and means a lot of anything we can do to help promote. That's be just fine. Welcome so thank you time. guys so much for being on. Man, it's welcome, our pleasure, man. really. Thank, thank you so much. Well, thanks to the guys in Grinder Blues, uh, Scott and Jabo Billman. Thank you, Doug Pinnock, for talking to us. Um, what can I say that I haven't already said? I love the record. Uh, I really, 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 really love Doug's story about Mississippi and you know his family being from there and uh, the feelings that came up from that. that that's, connection, yeah, the that, connection that's, to the type of music, yeah, and that uh, that's what really stood out to me the most um and just their their connection to blues and just their joy of playing and you know i speechless it's fantastic well, you know it, it all makes sense now so that that album they released last year all dose is really really good like it's a good mix of uh you know your your normal blues or your standard blues with a this rock edge a modern rock edge but you know, when they told the story, they went down to that studio in Mississippi to record and really didn't have the tracks ready. They had riffs or whatever, mm -hmm. but were able to do it quickly. I think the atmosphere, the area really gave them a lot of um, a lot of ideas and just really forced them to come up with the album that came out. It's, it's amazing. And I can absolutely see how they go down there and cut a record pretty quick, not even having, you know, all the material ready to rock. 
Yeah, and it was it was uh, very cool to hear, you know, their take and experiences on what the record business used to be and what it's like now. And, you know, um, but, you know, certainly no complaining about how, you know, you'll hear from some artists about, you know, how, you know, they, you know, they give their, their uh, constructive criticism of Spotify. Um, yeah. And you'll hear some artists out there like really, really tear into that, which is understandable. Like they just seem like rolling with the punches. This is how we do it now. And we're just going to enjoy making music. Yeah. I mean, it's all you can do. This is what the, what the industry is like now. And that's, but also more of a reason you have to get by physical media, go to their shows, buy their merch, because that's how musicians make a living. And I also appreciated them complimenting us on what we do. And that means a lot to us. It does. It's starting to make me nervous. We've got a couple people do that now. And like, (laughs) (laughs) don't screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make us feel responsible. (laughs) I think it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different format. We just sit there and have a conversation with people. And I think it's much more appreciated and it's a little bit easier for people to do too. It's I'm probably a little less guarded as well. Yeah. Very, very true. On that note, always remember Southern rock is reverent, loses blood. We'll see you next time.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.